Big Papa Online Network on Blog Talk Radio is on the air. p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Tune in to Third Eye Cinema, your source for in-depth discussion of cult cinema with a focus on film that matters. Cult, grindhouse, drive-in, independent, and underground film from the dawn of the talkies through the early 90s. This is a forum where we explore genre film and music from around the world, in-depth conversation and career analysis with directors, actors, and musicians, and open discussion on films that matter, those that fall outside the mainstream corporate film by boardroom committee. These are the problems of the auteur, the visionary, the dreamer, the outsider. None of that direct that passes for mainstream film these days. This is all about the glory days of independent cinema from all over the world. Any of the hotbeds of obscure, oddball, or generally wild cinema available on DVD from the dawn of the medium to this very day. Join us as we delve deep into the cinematic netherworld here on Third Eye Cinema. Sundays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, on the Big Papa Online Network on Blog Talk Radio. Join us on Tuesday nights at 6.30 Eastern for an exploration of the many roads and methods which promise to lead us to the ultimate answer, a higher purpose, meaning of life. I'm just like a lot of you, a middle-aged mom with piles of laundry and a meditation practice. I've been down many roads to get where I am today, and my journey is far from finished. But I'd like to share my experience and hard-earned wisdom with you. So what is it about women and spirituality? It seems like we're always the first to try out something new. Christianity was spread in large part by wealthy women. And where would Uncle Al be without his Scarlet Women? Who is by and far the largest audience of New Age alternative spirituality? What is it about us that always has us seeking? And why does it always seem that men tend to take over what we discover? Join us for a dialogue between two long-lost friends representing both the yin and yang aspects of the whole, each of whom have traveled multifarious paths all across the spectrum of spirituality, the dark side and the light, from the organized to the out of the way. This show is for all those frustrated in their quest who've been through various thoughts on the spectrum of spirituality and found them ultimately unfulfilling. Join us for some harder and lessons and thoughts on potential new directions and possible value in what inevitably fails in organized practice, but which may have some merit to the solo practitioner, fellow seekers of truth, in this journey towards light. Moving towards light. Lessons in life and spirituality from an unconventional seeker. Bringing more to you, only here on the Big Papa Online Network. On Blog Talk Radio. What is At Eye Level? A reductio ad absurd and look at the headlines from politics to pop culture, from the corporate to the individual. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern, we take a not-so-serious look at the serious issues of the day. Whether it's politics, economics, social issues, music, or old movies and TV shows, we discuss everything the corporate media overlooks while making you laugh at the absurdity of it all. Hell, you've got to have a sense of humor about life. Just look at the headlines. So join me, Matt G. And me, Doc Savage. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern as we navigate the sea of trolls, talking points, and trickery. We try to figure out a way to be there when tomorrow comes. At eye level, bringing more to you. Only on the Big Papa Network on Blog Talk Radio.
your guide to all things essential in the world of cult entertainment. Tonight, Salute Paris, here Brigitte, here on the Big Papa Online Network, Lots of Radio. Inside the gold mine, your guide to all things essential and wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Drop in for a spell and join me, Doc Savage, and my co host, Louis Paul, as we discuss the beloved, hated, the weird, the wonderful world of cult film, music, television, and more. So, tonight we are talking Brigitte Bordeaux. Uh, as you can tell, it's kind of running around as usual. Uh, so, this week we discussed the life, filmography, and singing career of one of the world's great beauties, the incomparable Brigitte Bordeaux. Kicking off her filmography at the tender age of 17, the woman who became both international sex symbol and model for Marianne, the symbol of France, would embark on a career encompassing more than 40 films in nearly 20 years, including work for such highly regarded auteurs as Louis Malle, Jean-Luc Godard, Edward Dimitrik, and Jean Cato. With a first husband and regular collaborator, Roger Vadim, she starred in a film that single-handedly kicked off the sexual revolution, much to the stress of censors and the forces of Puritanism around the world. While their relationship and Vadim's rather Saudian influence led to a tumultuous personal life and involvement with any number of co-stars and jet-setters of the era, Bordeaux would emerge as a confident and outspoken presence who cut her career short to pursue a very public role in animal activism. And yet the lady, of course, is best known for and truly excels in the role of comedienne, of which she's left us several enjoyable celluloid examples. And did we mention her sideline as a pop singer and regular collaboration with the legendary Serge Gainsbourg? So join us tonight as we delve into the life and careers of the legendary Mademoiselle Bordeaux. So here we are. Uh, the I believe it's the fifth week in the second season now. And hey, <laughs> anything you want to kick off with? Yeah, uh, unfortunately, and, and and obviously not planned. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> this is this is a, a bittersweet show because this is our first time we're. Uh, Dealing purely with uh, someone of uh, French descent, and not uh, purely, because remember we did that French cult film show. We did do the French cult film show. That's correct. But uh, yeah, so something happened Friday last week, and everybody <sighs> in the whole world knows about that. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it was crazy, and uh, it was shocking, and um, it's it's it's. Uh, it's an amazing thing. I mean, you how do you wrap your mind around this stuff in in, in, in 2015? You know, it's, it's just yeah. insane. It's just insane. Um, um, uh, I know you probably discussed this on Monday night show. <laughs> You're welcome. Yes, we did. <laughs> yeah, our very political uh, show at eye level. <laughs> yes, at eye level, and um, I, I'm very. Sorry uh, for the families uh, yeah. of those who lost loved ones, and I'm very uh, shocked, shocked that that people still don't know how to make a fucking point nowadays. You know, this is not how you make a point. I'm sorry. This is barbarianism. This is yes. This is before Viking civilization. Time. This is yeah. The, this is before the marker, civilization. The you do not, civilization is yes. that. Okay, yeah, this is where the not safe for work part comes in. And we're going to get to Brigitte. Don't worry, folks. <laughs> but I, I, I'm sorry. 
you do not do this. You're not making a point at all uh, for for whatever uh, 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 whatever your raison d'être is going to be, whatever message you're trying to get across. I'm sorry, you're fucked now. Because this is the worst possible thing. And then Lebanon, and then I believe uh, uh, Nigeria followed Paris, uh, where they lost 2,000 lives, I, I, I think, at this point. Uh, which, of course, it's not been as uh, documented as, as much by the media. Uh, Lebanon, Lebanon preceded Paris, and then Nigeria followed Lebanon. Um, the thing with Paris, though, is uh, it was uh, a shock. You know, it's it's and, you know, of course, they threatened New York today. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Well, it's you know it's not like a big surprise. What else are you gonna do? Um, <laughs> uh, it, I'm just surprised. It's shocking, and and uh, and for those like myself who work in Lower Manhattan, there's like a pall, and there's a uh, everything changes then when you go to work, when you when you commute, uh, whatever, and, and it's yeah. like you're always looking around and. Uh, and that was like a thing after nine eleven too, and uh, unfortunately, yeah, we it's it's a wake up call in a way. You you know, you you can't let yourself be too uh, comfortable, unfortunately, in this time. But I do want to say again, and I reiterate that you know, for those people who thought they were making a huge point in their barbarian acts, I won't even say barbarian, there's probably no good word to describe this. You know, fuck you, because yeah. um, I, you know, Vladimir Putin, hey, I'll vote for that guy. <laughs> he wants to go in and blow the shit out and blow up Syria. I don't give a shit. Uh, you're going to kill innocent people? Well, you know, it's called collateral damage. You know, uh, and I, I'm really angry at the way this took place and how it took place. And uh, I'm sorry. And uh, I, I, it's it's a big thing. And a lot of people, you know, and the poor guy that was the merch guy for the band. You know, he's, you yeah. know merch guy is always in the back of the hall. You ever go see a show? The merch guy's always back in the hall selling the T-shirts and the CDs. That guy lost his life, and um, and apparently some people from Universal uh, Universal uh, Music who uh, worked with the, the Rolling Stones, mm-hmm. the the Rolling Stones uh, 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 guys out in uh, Universal in, in France. Uh, they uh, three of them, three of them lost their lives, and you know. Uh, this is big. It's huge. Um, somebody from the area, a student. You know, it's. I mean, I guess we could say. Uh, not more Americans lost their lives. I mean, everybody goes to Paris. Yeah. It's like the place to go, and that's yeah, and 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 and. Uh, Quick thinking, um, the tackling uh, outside the stadium. It could have been a lot worse there. Um, but, yeah, absolutely shocking. And uh, I'm, I'm sure this was discussed at length at, at your other show. But, 
So we're honoring the French tonight, and specifically Brigitte Bardot, who did not have a lengthy career, um, unlike um, her Italian counterpart, sort of, uh, Anita Ekberg, who maybe one day we'll discuss. Um, But, uh, yeah, we're here to honor Brigitte. Do you want to kick off after my rant? (laughs) Actually, I just wanted to link some things that you stirred up a little bit. I have mixed feelings about how to proceed because I don't believe that just in the scrimmage, uh, we want to call it carpet bombing of another people is the answer to this because not everybody is part of this initiative. No, no. Um, and therefore that'd be like saying, you know what, those fucking New Yorkers came over and, uh, and five of them came and did something horrible to our country and let's go bomb New York. You know, it doesn't really pan out to me. It's not like two wrongs don't really make a right. But that said – uh, I am totally sick of all this shit. Uh, I am totally sick of the two ex, you know, the ex president and vice president who got us into this fucking mess just in the name of making money and getting an American interest in oil and paying Halliburton extra cash. Mm-hmm. Thank you so yes. much, you two motherfuckers. We have not forgotten you. Uh, you're going to go down in history as the worst fucking president ever, and may you be spat upon when you're dead. Um, you know this shit is just. I don't know. I mean, what can you say? It's it goes on and on and on, and you know, the, the evil just keeps happening. And it's terrorism's a messy thing because you could have five people just spread out across five different countries and still have this kind of an impact. Uh, it's not like you've got a clearly defined you know one nation enemy sort of a thing, and it just makes everybody crazy. Uh, we have to do. The problem with terrorism is they're trying to strike fear in you and change the way that you live. And the trick with this is somehow getting past the emotion, which is very difficult when you're losing loved ones and you're seeing all this kind of shit go down, uh, and just continue to live in defiance of this. Uh, Continue to act as if things were normal. Go on with your life. And that's really the only way to give these guys the bird, unless you physically catch, okay, this is the guy that did it. Okay, let's grab him by the balls and string him up. but when it's just more of this nebulous thing, everybody just ends up looking over their shoulders and let's surrender some more rights. It just becomes a huge mess. Uh, but all I've got to say to Nechler uh, Pali, you know, just with Desolé, there's really nothing else that we can offer, honestly, other than just our regrets and that our hearts are with you. Um, yes, and, of course, of course. You know, just like last time on the Bond show wound up on the, basically the week when Spectre was coming out, we don't plan these things. This was planned well in advance. Uh, actually, it got bumped up by a week because we decided to insert the Italian Sleeve show, uh, and it just so happened to fall now. And, you know, originally I was like, should we reschedule it? And I was like, well, no, let's just put it on in tribute to the people of Paris and, um, yeah. you know, in support of France. Uh, here's our little marker. So. Here you go, guys. Well, uh, uh, what, yeah, yeah. One one other statement before we proceed is that no, I wasn't advocating carpet bonding. Um, no, no. Um, but no, I, you know, the it's, anger it's, that... an, it's an anger and it's a knee jerk reaction. Of course not. Uh, there would be a terrible, messy thing. I mean, throughout the whole Middle East, if we did that. Yeah. But exactly. I, 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 and the reason why I, I yes, and the reason why I invoke Putin's name is that. Uh, I'm not sure about that guy. I'm not sure where he's coming from, where he's going. But at least he's clearly reacting. Clearly reacting. And I and think, making a stand, uh, yes. 
Yeah, I agree. I, I feel the I same way. Our, I do not trust that son of a bitch. I think he's trying to bring back the Kremlin all over again, if you will. Yes, of course. But, of course. Yeah, on, we'll probably get some good movies out of this. <laughs> in this situation, yeah. it's like, well, mm. okay, yeah, you're on our side right now. So, And good, and yes. I think, I think, last word, folks, I think that our current president made a grave, grave, grave mistake <laughs> in trying to push the agenda of but it's okay to let all these people in because it's not what it's election time. It's yeah. not what people want to hear. Yeah. Now, I mean, those of us who have a brain, we know what's going on. Yeah. But it's not what certain people want to hear, and it's you know very emotional thing to happen here. So of course, I mean, it's a it's a really silly silly thing for him to keep. I don't care. We still have to let. 400,000 undocumented people into our country. Let's stream them in. Yeah, okay. But other people are seeing this and like, no! (laughs) I'll tell you something. There's a magazine that I read, a metal magazine from Europe, and a fellow named Alan Averill, those of you who listen to uh, Black Metal and Pagan Metal, his his band's Primordial, one of my favorites. Uh, He's really got a good head on his shoulders. You you might not agree with him politically or whatever else, but he's an intelligent guy. You've got to admit that. And he made a, he had an article this month, you know, basically just talks about whatever. And it was before these bombings happened, but he was talking about the whole Syrian situation with all the uh, refugees going all over Europe and whatever. And he says, you know, during who knows one of his tours or whatever, he went into one of the Syrian refugee areas where the camps or whatever the hell they were being held over there as they move into various countries over there. Uh, and he was talking with some of these people, and apparently a couple of them said to him, hey, you know, I don't know about some of these people here. You know, there's a couple of them I'm worried about. You know, Most of them are decent people. Most of them are just like trying to get the hell out of there, yeah, but sure. there's a couple that are, what do you want to call it, Trojan horses, and that's something you've got to be very, very careful about, especially in a situation like this. Uh, I believe in humanitarian aid. I believe in helping yes. people out. I also believe in watching your fucking back. And, uh, you know, just to indiscriminately say, oh, yeah, we got to let them in the country. Well, maybe, but maybe we got to, you know, run background checks. Maybe we got to be careful about how we do this. Do an Ellis Island yeah. sort of thing all over again. You know, give yeah. them the aid they need, but, you know, be safe. You know, we don't need more of this shit happening on our soil. We have enough problems. <laughs> we got our own problems. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ellis Island is still there, so it's put to use. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's no, crazy. no, we're just all you know, <laughs> trying to react in as, as logical a way as you can when you're really ready to kick somebody's ass because that's the knee jerk uh, response here. Uh, especially uh, for New York, like, wait a minute, and now you're gonna threaten us again? Fuck you, buddy. <laughs> so, uh, uh, and like you said before, that was my exact reaction. You actually swore for me. I'm like, you know what? All you ISIS fuckers, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, really? Yes. It's it's yeah. You almost want to say bring it on, but you know you know they're not gonna play. They're they're gonna fight dirty. So it's like, oh, you know what? Drop all the shit, man to man. Let's have it out. And there you go. So, <laughs> but anyway. Uh, that wasn't what we were trying to uh, set out with here. It's just something that unfortunately is part and parcel of uh, anything to do with France at the moment. Um, so, yes, getting on to a happier subject. Mademoiselle <laughs> uh, Bordeaux. I actually was a fan for, geez, at least since my teens. Uh, obviously, just like most uh, red-blooded American or <laughs> European or any other sort of males, uh, it was because I was hot for her originally, and I still am. Uh, but at least you know, in her younger salad days. 
Um, but, you know, there's more to it because uh, as you go through and you start to see more of her personality emerge, uh, and there's a lot of things there that are super lovable. Now, regardless of, you know, okay, yeah, she's not gorgeous and all that stuff. Okay, fine. But even if she was just kind of average, you're like, you know what? I think I really like this freaking girl. And then you get into her singing career if you're into, like, you know, yay, yay, you know, French pop from that era. And then you get into her animal activism. And then, you know, there's other things that people might say are questionable. We'll address that because they're not as questionable as they sound from what I'm reading. Uh, but again, you know, I'm not living there, so I don't catch it all. Um, so anyway, I had a big collection of her stuff on VHS when it was much harder to find. Uh, and then as we moved into the DVD era, I was thankful to be able to find most of that. Unfortunately, a few did not come over to DVD. I don't know why. What was that? Uh, what was that company that uh, that released a lot of the Rally Metzger movies? Was that first Rally Autobahn? Uh, Autobahn. Autobahn. Autobahn yeah. Yes. He definitely brought right. some over because he was big on that sort of import. Um, and interestingly enough, even though I didn't get all of it, like a straight, okay, everything I got on VHS, now I got on DVD, that's not the case. Uh, I did get more. I got things that were not available on DVD, uh, VHS. Uh, so I'm pretty content with my collection, and it's decent, uh, considering she did about, if you want to call her early cameo appearances, more or less, uh, as full films. You know, She only did 50 in total, really, and I've got you know maybe 24, 25 of them. And if you count VHS, I got a couple more. Um, yeah, yeah, there's some something weird tapes too, right? Yeah, really, I didn't know that. Um, oh yeah, maybe yeah. I'm missing. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, but um, I just went through and gathered because you know I had biographies on her, all kinds of stuff. But you know my shelves are kind of difficult to get to in terms of books lately. <laughs> Unless it's something I've read recently. Uh, so I just went on the internet and I grabbed a couple of interesting facts just crossing across her life. Sure. And uh, we'll go from there and then just start getting into her films per se. Uh, she's actually – she was born back in 1934, which makes her older than a lot, not only of us, but our parents. Um, in 1969, as I mentioned earlier, she was uh, the official face for the uh, bust of Marianne that they made. Uh, who had previously been just you know anonymous and know who the whole was uh, to represent you know this is like the figure of Francis it represents liberty it represents the French nation uh, so it's kind of like uh, the Statue of Liberty which by the way French the French gave us uh, it's that sort of a symbol to them it's like oh look this is us and they actually chose her so that should say a lot to you right there you know, uh, uh, a, a caveat for a moment um, I wonder how many people today. I actually realized that the French built that, disassembled it, shipped it, and then reassembled it for us. <laughs> Nobody. Especially if you get back into the embarrassment of, uh, do you remember Freedom Fries and all that shit? That was, uh, that was just an embarrassing point in our history. Just like I would mentioned before, this the shit president that shall not be named. Um, you know, I actually made a point in those days just to rub it in their faces every time. You know, I saw Freedom Fries or some crap on the menu. I'd ask them, do you have any French fries? Okay, we're Freedom Fries. No, French fries. <laughs> <laughs> see what happens. See if I can get them with their blood pressure. Yeah, up. yeah, yeah. It's 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 an amazing amazing thing that they did that. Uh, yeah. That was bold. Because yeah, because you you could see uh, there are photographs that exist of uh, it being assembled and then disassembled. It's like ship the damn thing across the seas. Yeah. And, and basically, and it's just they, a goodwill thing. There, there's no like yeah. we're going to get money for this or look at our great procedures. No. Like. 
No, no, you've been a friend nation to us. Actually, if you think about it, we would not – let's go back further in history. We would not be the American nation. We'd be a British colony, if that, if it were not for Lafayette from France and von sure. Steuben from Germany and Kosciuszko from Poland. All those guys came over here. They were all generals in their armies and had you know won successful battles and skirmishes and wars and whatever the hell else in their own countries and came over here to help out the guerrilla colonists. And uh-huh. they fought us yeah. guerrilla warfare because at the time, the, the British, you know, the proper way of shooting was you all stood up in a line and everybody shot at each other basically face-to-face in a couple of paces. And whoever had enough people standing at the end won. And they're like, get the hell out of here. That's not how you fight. And they taught us to fight from the trenches and they taught us to camouflage and they taught us to fight from the bushes and they taught us sneak attacks and pincer attacks and, you know, all sorts of things like that. They taught a bunch of people that were basically farmers and, you know, religious immigrants and refugees how to shoot fucking weapons, how to take people down. You know, it, this was a big, big deal. We would not be America if it were not for the French, if it were not for the Germans, and if it were not for the Polish. So stick that in your pipe and smoke it. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yes. So uh, anyway, Rodeau was born back in the, in Paris, actually, which is another reason that this is perfect for uh, this week. Uh, she was upper middle class by birth, uh, Roman Catholic, which is interesting considering how many uh, taboos she immediately violated and how little she thought of that <laughs> religion. Uh, kind of like us. Uh, her younger sister, uh, some of you may recognize, uh, Marie-Jean, who would by Mijanou. Uh, she actually turned up in a couple of films. I know that uh, Albert Zugsmith's Sex Kittens Go to College, I have her in that alongside uh, Mamie Van Doren and Tuesday Weld. And honestly, I'm not paying attention to the other two when I watched that, and she's no Bordeaux, so that says something right there. Um, she was actually a ballerina early in life. She took a lot of ballet lessons, uh, but eventually she started skipping out and doing whatever else, just like a kid would do. Uh, she actually was kind of shoved into modeling. Uh, it was like a friend of her mother's or something said, oh, why don't you come do a, a fashion show? And she wound up being in a fashion magazine. And from there, uh, of all people, of course, Roger Vadim saw that magazine while he was, I think, his babysitting or something silly. And, you know, showed it to his friend. Um, it's actually one of the directors she worked with. It might have been uh, Michel Bossan. Uh And he didn't use her right away. But at some point, she started doing uh, small parts in comedies, both domestic and foreign. Uh, at some point, Vadim had married her at a rather young age. Uh, let's see if I can find exactly where it was. Uh, oh, at 15, she was on the uh, the cover of Elle, uh, 1950 in March. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. He married her. Uh, she had just turned 18. He was, uh, I think, about 25 26, uh, in 1952, and he decided at some point, he's like, you know what, this really, this isn't the best representation for you. We could have you in, you know, right now this whole art film thing, is European film is be, uh, being recognized all over, not only Europe, but in the U.S. and worldwide, you know, the whole con film thing and everything else. Uh, you had directors out there, the French Nouvelle Vague, the New Wave. Uh, and of course you have things like Fellini and all, all that film. When you think of like oh foreign film, that's usually what people are thinking of this era of filmmaking. And yeah. he says, well, why don't we get you in one of these kind of things? So he actually took up the reins and directed her in in Dark Creative Woman. Um, 
there are some more things that happen after that. Like, let's see. Uh, oh, well, there's actually, a couple of things that happened before that, though. She did do bit parts as oh, yeah. the eye candy and uh, a the, lot of the carry Dick. on like Doctor at Sea with Dirk Bogart, um, yep. who was uh, a very interesting character, <laughs> <laughs> and Hel- Helen of Troy. Um, um, Helen of Troy with Kirk Douglas, mind. Yes, with uh, Kirk Douglas. I always love Kirk Douglas. Um, yeah, a couple oddball things like that. Actually, and preceding and God created women, there are a couple things. I, I'm sorry, folks, but the titles elude me. Um, but uh, there was a time when I got scores of uh, something weird videos from Mike Brainy. And he said, Lewis, I don't know what these Euro movies are, but they look like Spy and they got cheesecake. Can you review these for me? I want to put something on the back of the tape, uh, the VHS box. And she appeared in a number of these things. They were brief shots. Um, or she would be the girl. And she would disappear. The thing with Bridget is in this movie, she wasn't like killed off or anything. She would just like disappear. Yeah, she just pop on and off. And remember, she was young and her hair was darker, so you may not yeah. even recognize her except by the power. Um, yes. But yeah, she had an incredible yeah. smile. She had an incredible smile. Oh, yeah, she's always gorgeous, just naturally. And that's actually one of the things that's so great about her, but we'll get to that in a bit. So just you know, mm-hmm. jumping around a little bit with some more of these dumb facts here. Um, Simone de Beauvoir, those of you who are uh, literary types, uh, she actually declared Bardot the most liberated woman of post-war France. Um, let's see. She was in. Oh, she was forty-seven films rather than fifty, so I was close. Uh, she did about sixty songs, which I'll speak to later. Uh, she mm-hmm. was actually awarded the Legion of Honor in nineteen eighty-five, but said no, I don't want it. <laughs> yeah. uh, and of course, you know, when she retired in uh, nineteen seventy-three, she just kind of backed down. And I think she was just turned forty or forty-two or something. And uh, she says, look, you know, I don't want everybody to see me aging. I don't want to get out while I'm still on top, more or less, and people can have good memories of me. And then she left to become an animal rights activist. She was helping out horses and dogs and whatever. And she still does this to this day. Um, She more recently, and this is kind of relevant to today as well, um, she married a guy who is very not the greatest. Uh, he's kind of a National Front guy from uh, uh, France. And those of you who know anything about the U.K. or France know that's sort of like a cross between the Tea Party and the KKK. They're really kind of far right. and um, Yeah, which is surprising, which is surprising. Yeah, yeah, it's strange. And she got in trouble a couple of times. Like they fined her for, quote, inciting racial hatred for making comments about Islam. But I'll get to it later because the ones that I've seen, I was like, well, it's no more controversial than what you hear every freaking day on Fox News. So it was that kind of a, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, also, also, you know, keep in mind now we have an older woman. Mm-hmm. Who, although she's she stayed uh, steadfast and forthright to her her decades long and current love of uh, animal rights and other things, uh, yeah, here comes a younger guy and he's probably like a fucking stud muffin and you know <laughs> he's taking care of business. You know, he's not in the business of of film, and so um, I'm sure things are happening, and so. Yeah, I, I, I don't know why, because she's much, much, and has shown to be in the past, much, much smarter 
Oh, yeah. And That's why it was baffling to me. But I was like, well, yeah, when I read yeah. the actual thing she said, at least the quotes that I had seen pulled out, I was like – yeah, but that's no worse than what we hear every day here. It's not as bad as I was expecting from you know being married to a national fronter and from you know getting fined for it and called on it. I'm like, yeah, okay, well it's not good, but all right, whatever. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. It's not good, but <laughs> how uh, old is Bridget now? She's what? Oh, she's uh, thirty-four. What is she like? Seventy, maybe eighty. Uh, she's she's pushing it, like eighty at this point. And so, how old is this guy? Uh, I'm not really sure. I think he is younger, though. I will say that. Uh, I don't think, I think he's, like he's 42. <laughs> really? Yeah, <laughs> I think he's 42. So no wonder she's going for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, but, yeah, brings up a lot of things. So. Exactly. Um, but going back before the controversy, uh, she was actually, you know, even though she, you know, but you know, pushed her into these kind of films, and uh, to an extent, she made some art films. You know, some of them were still comedies and fun. Uh, she was one of the few women over there. And when you said Italian analog, I thought you were going to be talking Sophia Loren, or arguably Lola Bridget, but she was never big enough. Uh, yeah, no, uh, I, I think I think Anita Ekberg is a really good uh, 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 choice for someone as a comparison. But uh, the thing about that is. All those yeah. people, you know, the, the United States obviously love these people. There's a big thing for European sirens at the right. time as well. And most of them came over here and did at least a couple of films, you know, joining the whole paparazzi thing, whatever. Uh, mm. Bardot had no interest right from day one. It's like, I'm ah, French. Ah. Ah, fuck this. I don't, I don't care about those other countries. Now, she might have done something for another country. She might have went to England to do the Betty Box film or maybe out to Italy to do something, whatever it is. But basically, she's like, I'm French. You know, I'm, This is where I am, and you know, the hell with it. I'm proud of who I am. So there's something to be said for that. Um, but she, she definitely did some odd things, though. She did that, that marvelous Spirits of the Dead. Yes. Yeah, no, we're definitely going to get to some fun films here in the middle of all this. Um, let's see, what else? Uh, doo -doo -doo. All right, well, let me just say about Vadim, those of you who have not read his autobiography, uh, <laughs> because like, uh, Bardot uh, de Neuve and Fonda, I believe it's called, which is uh, some of the more famous women he was involved with, all sort of of a type, although really not compared to Bardot by a long shot. Um <sighs> And those who haven't seen his films, which is even more importantly, he is uh, – you know how we talk a lot about Franco being Sadian and some of the other directors being Sadian? He really was into Sad, and I mean not in the superficial sense, just like we're talking with Franco, but in the real mm. sense, philosophically. Um, so basically I picture their marriage sort of like an Emmanuel film. Uh, she was this simple yeah, – not as a country girl, she's from Paris, but uh, you know, basic um, naturalist young girl. And he is really kind of kinky and whatever, uh, which I can relate to. But uh, he may have pushed things a little far, just kind of reading between the lines what was going down. Um, and actually, I really have the impression when he did and got created woman, he started opposite Jean-Luc Trompagnat. And if you look like around like whatever Wikipedia, one of those places, they'll say, oh, yeah, she had an affair with him. I think and I thought I had read her saying and possibly him saying as well. Uh, that he sort of pushed them together. Uh, so that's the kind of kinky we're talking about. Um, mm. It's almost like he wanted to be cuckolded. This is like a thing for him. Uh, so she wound up living with Trump and Young. 
uh, eventually divorcing uh, Vadim, maybe like two years later or so. Uh, Which is a good thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, she was with Trevignant then. You know, she remained friends with Vadim because, you know, she made films with him further on to her career still. Um sure. While she was living with Trontignan now, of course, he created a monster of Adim because now she starts cheating on Trontignan with the musician Gilbert Becco, uh, which is probably how she got into the music career that she wound up having afterwards. Um, then she left him, I guess. Uh, she had a – people say a nervous breakdown. She basically tried to kill herself. Uh, she couldn't take yeah. the problem. She couldn't take where her life was going, uh, even though, yeah, obviously there's personal complicity and all this sort of stuff. I'm sure she said, you know, this is not who I am. What am I doing? Uh, <laughs> you know, screw all those different guys and everything. It's basically a simple country girl that grew up Catholic and everything. Um, and, you know, she survived it. It was, you know, whether it was a bid for attention or whether it was more of a uh, cri de coeur, you know, cry for help, basically, from the heart. Um, I would go with the latter personally, just knowing her more or less. But uh, this became first off, it interrupted a film that she was working on, which I believe was uh, La Verite, the Louis Malle film. Uh, but they actually did a true life uh, biopic afterwards, you know, which of course was sensationalized and fictionalized, but it really was about her, which is one that I liked and which did not make the DVD, which is uh, V Privé, Private Life. Uh, Louis Maul did that, in which you know basically she surprised, uh, surprise, a suicidal paparazzi afflicted character, um, and it's got a weird ending where it's all trippy and she basically jumps out the window and you see show her like going down and down and down and the air is kind of getting whatever behind her. She got a big smile on her face like wow, this is screwed it's up. A, it's Alice in Wonderland too. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's, yes. it's a big trope at that time period. You know, there's there was a lot of. There was uh, a lot of uh, low-budget uh, international versions of Alice in Wonderland. Some they're just starting to see the light of day, uh, and and you know there there were like versions of that. And I think this was like a version of that. Yeah. I'm glad to know that you're on Skype. I just got a message right this second saying that you were online. I'm like, what? <laughs> of course you're online. <laughs> of course I'm online. I'm talking to you. <laughs> I, I I love computers. Uh, <laughs> so. Uh, Anyway, then she went and actually married for the second time uh, actor Jacques Charrier because, once again, she worked with him in Babette Goes to War. She was uh, – I think she did a couple of Babette films, but anyway. Uh, and she had her, I believe, only son, Nicholas, with him. Uh, yeah. But then he turned out to be a little bit too traditional for her, uh, which makes sense after having been through Roger Vadim as her first husband. And then you all of a sudden get some guy who's kind of, I hate to say right wing, but, you know, sort of uptight and conservative. Uh, and, you know, did a lot of films and whatever else. And she basically you know, threw plates and said, fuck you and get out. And well, you know, you know we're, we're, I think what we're, we're encountering here and going, going through her personal life is like shit that happens to people everywhere. everywhere. You know? It happens it's to all sorts like, of people. You, uh, you, you find somebody you think you connect with, and then you find, unfortunately, shortly thereafter, oh, shit, this is not, <laughs> not You thought they were, yes. <laughs> you thought you they were. Yeah. I thought you liked me. And so, <laughs> and, and then, like, you stuck period of, like, do I try to make it work or do I move forward? Yep. And, and, you know, and, 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 and it's funny because with, with Bridget Bardot, there's a lot of that. 
is yeah. you, you, it, uh, you know, she she's a celebrity during these years we're discussing her career, and you see a lot of that. You know, she bounces back and forth, and she actually works with people she used to be married with, and I'm sure a lot of it is like, oh, let me let me see what's going on there because. Maybe I didn't really read that what I thought. Oh no, yeah, I don't want to fucking be with you. you know, like, and you see, know. this is something we'll get to later. Is the the point about her that makes her so special? She's so naturalistic. She is yes. who she is. Who she is. Mm-hmm. It's not a bullshit act. It's not Marilyn Monroe where she's somebody completely different and putting on this schizophrenic. I think this is what big guys you know, think is sexy, and I'm going to act like a baby doll. This this well, woman well, is who she is, and well, therefore Mar- she Mar- reads Mar- with her. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't think Marilyn was at fault for that. I think Marilyn, uh, there was a lot going on with that. Marilyn was kind of Yeah, but no, if ever we did, we did a show with her, of, uh, you know, her stuff, which you never know. Uh, she was a victim of many different things. and, and uh, But the difference being, we're talking about yes. someone who's very, very, you know, I am who I am, and, you know, like, almost yes. like you know, she wasn't a tomboy, but you know, uh, yeah, but she was like busty, voluptuous tomboy, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> she she led with her heart, and therefore yeah, she got herself in a lot of stupid situations. And you know, this is what happens. You if you fall in love with somebody, if you think that they're great, then you find out they suck, and you move on, and okay, and somebody else. Um, but yeah. what happened when she divorced this guy? They said, you know what? Just, just don't come see your son anymore. So they just raised this kid, and I don't think she even saw him really. Uh, in, you know, maybe she had visiting hours or something. But basically, he was cut out of her time. life until she's, yeah. you know, he was an adult. Um, so then she goes and buys this house in Saint Tropez, which she actually celebrated in Saint Lama Drog. Uh, and she would kind of, more or less, I think she's still there, actually, but she would kind of use it as an escape um, refuge for a couple of years. And pretty much, she's actually credited with popularizing Saint-Tropez as a resort location, uh, Mm -hmm. because everybody wanted to go there and ogle her. Um, The Beatles wanted to do a movie with her, uh, sort of like a Hard Day's Night thing, but obviously... Actually, I think it was they wanted her in a Hard Day's Night, yeah. Um, she married another guy now, uh, who was a German millionaire playboy named Gunther Sachs. Uh, that lasted about three years, uh, and they basically just jet-setted around. Uh, and after that, not long after, she uh, ended up killing her career. During this time, she did a whole bunch of uh, music as well as movies. Uh, she mm-hmm. was working with Serge Gainsbourg, who everybody should know if they don't already, uh, yeah, and Sachs to Spell. Who we mentioned yeah. earlier, she did the real version of Je T'aime One en Plus, uh, which people know from that awful Jane Birkin one. And Jane Birkin, I'm sorry, you know, no offense to the British, but she doesn't have an intersex in her. Uh, so, you know, basically what happened was she had done the song Games Board, and she says, "I don't release this. Do me a favor. You know, I, I'm married. I don't want this going out there. It's too whatever." So he said, "All right," he left it in the vault. And he recorded it with Birkin. I think he was either married to her or involved with Birkin for a while. That's why he used her. Um, he was involved with her, yeah. Oh. Yeah, so that was the version everybody knew. They didn't release this other version until like the late 80s or the early 90s, which is around the time I discovered it. Uh, and the difference is astronomical. Uh, it's actually, you know, it was always kind of a goofy, like, look, it's a little, it looks like Bolero, like, oh, it's a song about sex, you know, giggle, nudge, nudge. Uh, but it's so much better done. It's so much more believable. Uh, well, 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 
Yeah. Um, I was going to say we're going to get to discussing Surge a little bit later. Yeah, I'll just try to get through these little facts and go through our life before we can get on to this stuff. We're getting close, though. So, like I mentioned earlier, in 1973, she retired from acting and became an animal activist. Uh, She kind of wasn't ready, but that's what I'm going to do now. Uh, She has a foundation under her name for this purpose. She basically kickstarted that foundation by selling off a whole bunch of her personal belongings, you know, jewelry, cars, whatever the hell she had. Uh, And she still donates large sums of money. We're talking about like tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars to animal-based causes, uh, stuff like, you know, Humane Society, Animal Rights Things, Veterinary Services. Uh, Obviously, she's a vegetarian because she feels really strong about this stuff. Um, Strangely, right after she retired, they did a Playboy uh, shoot, which is uh, lovely. I have it. Uh, from 1974, in honor of her 40th birthday. Um, so those of you who see nude photos of Bardot that weren't stills from films, that's where it's from. Um, then, like I mentioned earlier, in 1992, so this is pretty recent, comparatively speaking, uh, she got married for the fourth time to this fellow, Bernard Dormal, who was you know, the French National Front. She got into trouble for making these inflammatory anti-Muslim statements. But... Uh, to be fair, this wasn't even out of the blue because even back in the 60s, she was a pretty vocal supporter of Charles de Gaulle, <laughs> which meant a much different thing after Vichy France than it did during the war. Uh, so again, uh, and, but like I said, the, the statements I was reading, they're really close to the kind of crap you're hearing from the Fox News crowd all the time nowadays. So I was not like shocked by them. Uh, she actually made a comment in one of her books uh, about you know the Islamization of France and said about we're talking about Muslim immigration. Was, Over the last 20 years, we've given into a subterranean, dangerous, and uncontrolled infiltration, which not only resists adjusting to our laws and customs, but which will, as the years pass, attempt to impose its own. So anybody who's heard somebody yelling about Sharia law and all this imaginary horse shit, there you go. She just said it. So that's her horrible thing that she got attacked for. You could, right now, you could find and condemn 47% of America for what she just said. I mean, really, is it that bit, you know, I don't know if it's bad or good, but it's like, well, it's not as horrible as they're making out. Uh, we're used to it at this point is the bottom line. Uh, and on the flip side, though, in 2008 when we had those elections, she came out to say that Sarah Palin was stupid and a disgrace to women, criticizing her stance on global warming, gun control, and her support for Arctic oil exploration. So she's not – the stupid woman. She's still, no, uh, of course. she's still an iconoclast at the very least. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so that's basically it on her life per se. And uh, I guess we can get into the other now. Um, I just had it first, so I'll just you know, mention it quickly unless you have more to go on. Uh, Bordeaux, I had discovered that she was doing music. Uh, I believe I had seen a special back in the VHS days. There, there actually is something out now that you can get on DVD that's, um, you know, I think it's just called Bardot or Initials Bebe or something um, that has yeah. the music. But yeah. I had this on VHS from one of those great market people. You know, you're talking about like Ledbetter and all those kind of things um, back in the day. And I was like, wow, you know, this is pretty – because I was into Pizzicato 5. That was a big thing for me. I was into that whole hipster or proto-hipster. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, those guys. You know, yeah. All that, all that campy whatever, you know, you know, the clubs, and they'd always play at uh, like Sinatra or whatever the hell, and this cheesy um, – who, who's it? Burt Bacharach, you know, that kind of crap. So that's what they did. They had a very ironic take on like Bacharach and made it to dance music and whatever else. And I was huge on them. And they actually covered a couple of Bardo songs like Contact. Uh 
And I discovered that, oh, wow, she's doing this shit too. So I went out and found, again, you know, Tower in the City. I found one of her albums, and I loved it. And then not long after, they put out a box set, which I still have. And I believe it's uh, the one that's actually called In the Shells, baby. Uh, there's stuff on there with Gainsbourg. There's stuff on there. She has a duet with Jean Moreau, which I think was from Viva Maria. Uh, stuff with Sasha Destel, who she was involved with. Um you know, there are songs on there that I could probably still sing all the lyrics to in French today. And this was another one, like I was talking last week about, um, you know, how everybody thought I was nuts or nobody could talk to me about anime. It was the same thing with Bardot because I was so huge on this. And, you know, I was basically driving around at whatever hell age I was, blasting these songs and singing along in French. And I got friends next to me that were yeah, colorful, let's say that, uh, kind of yeah. uh, darker end of things. And... You'd be looking like, man, you're fucked up. <laughs> and actually, told me that, like, what's wrong with you, dude? I don't know what's up here. Uh, so, thankfully, again, you know, my wife is Canadian and used to, uh, you know, obviously everybody up in Canada is used to speak at least dual language French. Uh, so she enjoyed all this stuff too. So again, there was another connection. There's, there's a lot of things that people thought I was nuts for down here. That you know, once I met her, I was like, oh, okay, I'm validated. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, Let's see. Uh, was there anything else other than the games board? Do I want to touch there? Uh, I wouldn't say so. I mean, there was this, a TV special that she had done, and you get uh, you actually posted the video for Holly Davidson uh, or Bonnie and Clyde, one of those two. So they're from the same special. Um, yeah. And actually, Bonnie and Clyde, those of you who are into more recent uh, art house film, uh, Irma Vep, which nobody seemed to figure out, was a direct commentary on and uh, antagonistic to. Uh, Truffaut's Day for Night, Lone Weimar Can from uh, 1974. Uh, Irma Vep was obviously in 97. Uh, Oliver Assayas and uh, Maggie Chung was in that. Um, they actually had a scene there where they played a new version of Bonnie and Clyde. So it all kind of ties around when you when you get into these sort of circles. Um, Did that, Maggie Chung die of cancer? I don't know. I wasn't aware of that. Uh, I had heard that she had something, you know, maybe still a breast cancer or something. Right? Oh, I think so. I think so. I, I think, think it was her. Wow. Yeah, I, I think it was Jackie the one that I knew that yeah. died years ago was um, Anita Mui. The, the oh, Chinese. yes, yes. I got it mixed up. Anita Mui. Yes. yes. Yeah. Maggie's right. actually right. the one that was drop-dead gorgeous. I mean, even compared to Michelle Yeoh, she was drop-dead gorgeous. Uh, I I I'm I I was and always will be Michelle Yeoh fan. <laughs> uh, me too, but you know the, when you look at them side by side, I'm like, uh, yeah, man. Yeah, I, I know, I know, <laughs> uh, I know. And she's still living with us. They have believe in France. Um, so that all said, I guess we can go on to our films now. Just going by the list of her films, you can kind of tell what kind of silliness we're talking about here. Um. 1952, she does films like Crazy for Love, Le Truman Normand, uh, The Girl in the Bikini, which I have, Menina La Fille Sans Voix, uh, La Dame Noire, the, the Long Teeth. Uh, 1953, she does La Portrait de Son Père, His Father's Portrait, Act of Love. Uh, 54, she does uh, Royal Affairs in Versailles, uh, Concert of Intrigue, or Tradita. Uh, that was actually Italian. That was one of her. Um, Whatever's. Um, 55, she does Carolina Rebels, something called Sweet 16 or School for Love, Future Vedette. And then she does Dr. C, which we mentioned, uh, Betty Box, who was one of the 
I hate to say few female directors, but she kind of was at the time. I was talking about 1955. Uh, was doing those doctor films, or at least some of them. And, you know, Dirk Bogart, James Robertson Justice, you know, Maurice Denham, you know, George Kolaris, Joan Sims from the, uh, like you had mentioned, we're talking about the crossover with the Carry On films. Yeah. Now, these popular British, uh, at least in Britain, they're popular. British, uh, not quite slap and tickle, but that level of comedy, you know, somewhere around a Benny Hill, but a little more stiff upper lip. Um, you know, make, I guess if you cross a Jerry Lewis film with uh, Benny Hill, you might get the idea, um, <laughs> right? You agree? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So. Uh, yeah, yeah. So anyway, she just shows up in this as uh, you know the the French can- eye candy basically. She's on the boat. She's there for like maybe fifteen minutes if you're lucky. You know, she goes to see the doctor. They kind of watch her walk around the deck and look at her shaking her ass. And there you go, it's over with. Um, <laughs> It's not really a memorable film. It's just nice because, oh, look, Bardot's in it. Uh, and a young Bardot. Um, then she does stuff like uh, The Light Across the Street, La Lumina del Facha. Uh, sorry, that might be Italian. I just said Facha. <laughs> uh, Le Grand Manoeuvre, the, the Grand Maneuvers. Helen of Troy, you mentioned earlier. Uh, then she does, in 56, another film that I have, one of her earlier uh, starring roles, if you will, light comedy called uh, Mademoiselle Pigalle, this that naughty girl said Sacre Gamine. Uh, there's not much to say about it other than that uh, Michelle Auer is in it. Those of you who know uh, things like My Man Godfrey, he's the guy there singing Achitaria. He was big in Hollywood as a bit player. Uh, whenever they needed an ethnic of some sort, usually Russian or uh, Gypsy or something like that, Michelle Auer. Um, it's not. There's not a lot to say about it. It's basically the guy's like a, a nightclub owner or some crap, and uh, there's like I forget what kind of criminals they were, you know, forgers or uh, blackmailers or something. And she's of course there, you know, happens to be this innocent girl involved in it. Um, she, she was the daughter of the uh, the guy that was the big crime lord, if you will. And she winds up staying with the guy that runs the club and, you know, all kinds of antics ensue. And, of course, at the end of it, what? I remember she, she had this thing where she had put an iron on the clothes and burned through the clothes. Typical, like, newlywed type stuff. You know, like, oh, she, she couldn't burn an egg. You know, couldn't uh, boil water properly. Uh, what and was the name of that of that Autobahn picture, uh, the Autobahn release, where she, it was, like, vaguely spyish? You remember that? Um... Let's see, spy-ish. Well, there's a little bit of that in it, but I, if this is what I think you're talking about. Uh, Mademoiselle Striptease, uh, Plucking the Oh, yeah, it's that one. That's right. Yeah, yeah it was that but one. The, yes. That one is very similar. Uh, she is, once again, kind of dopey, naive. And her father is like a general or something. Uh, she goes off to Paris, and her brother's supposed to be... I don't know what he said he was, but he basically lied about his great job. And it turns out he's like in the Balzac Museum. You know, and he sits there overnight. You know, he's like a security guard, basically. Well, uh, but she did, she do, she did do a blatant one in '64. But you know, we'll we'll get to that. But anyway, just to I guess help her out or whatever. She has these like uh, sleep guys chasing her around. Uh, typical French guys, really, just trying to on the make, basically. I think one was like a newspaper reporter or some crap, and they're like betting, oh yeah, can you get her? Oh yeah, you get her, whatever. And she winds up in the striptease contest. They always got to wind up in a striptease contest in these films. And you know they rescue her at the end before she really strips anything off, of course, because it's you know the fifties. Uh, light entertainment. But they're fun, and the biggest thing of it all is she's charming, and that's what really stands out. She's a young girl. She's in these films, and yet you're like, 
totally, number one, laughing along with her, and number two, totally either rooting for her, if you're female, like my wife loves her, or you're like totally in love with her, like, wow, this, this girl's great, I wish I married this one, uh, as a guy. Uh, but that wasn't enough, like we mentioned before, uh, Vadim said, no, you should be in better films. So he creates uh, and got creative woman. And this film was like a bomb. I mean, not in the bad sense, in the sense of like exploding the entire zeitgeist of the era. Um, it's very not dry at all. I guess if you've seen films like Black Orpheus uh, or even Black Narcissus, you know that mm-hmm. that sort of era of filmmaking when all of a sudden they they're really kind of pushing the boundaries for the for that time and really kind of letting the sex come out. Uh, and somebody, some situation happens where they are exposed to something that's outside the normal bourgeois society and, you know, doesn't know how to handle it, and there's like a real sex pot figure, and that's what she is. Uh, she comes into this small fishing village. There's fights between these guys. I think they're brothers. Um, she ends up sleeping with one, and then, screw you, she's going to go dance around in the cafe with a bunch of uh, African guys playing bongos and shit, and show how wild she is, and then go sleep with another guy, and she's basically jumping from guy to guy and, like, screwing up the whole town. It, obviously, it was Vadim's sort of twisted vision of this girl, uh, which she wasn't like at the time, uh, and he utilizes her naturalness and her sexuality to the fullest extent, and it really is there. It's For a film of this vintage, it's smoking hot. There's really no comparison. Uh, and, you know, you know the story behind it and how she wound up basically pushed together with Trump and Yon, started sleeping with him, and Buddy's marriage went away, and so on and so forth. But this film dropped like a bomb on worldwide cinema, not just in France, uh, where she would have reactions between people chasing after her, like in crowds, like, oh, yeah, they really, they're totally in love with her and they're wanting to fuck her. And conservative <laughs> ladies who basically more or less spit on her in elevators and stuff. I mean, that kind of virulent reaction one way or the other. Uh, and then over here, it was just nobody knew how to handle it. Because, you know, the sexist thing we had before then was a Maromaromo. It was just cheese. You know, it was very safe. This was not safe. This was dangerous sexuality. Uh, dangerous because people are uptight, not because of anything else. Uh, there's nothing raw and raunchy about it. It's just naturalistic. And it's um, amoral, not immoral, but in the sense of, well, why are you putting boundaries on me? I'll do what I want. And that's kind of naturalistic, feral, cat-like sexuality. It's just all over this freaking film. And it's to some extent almost typecast her. Uh, she did remain doing comedies, and I think that saved her a lot. Uh, but to a large extent, especially when she did the more serious films, that's the kind of role they tried to leave her in, never as successfully as this film. Uh, is there anything you want to say about this one? Because I was the biggie. You there? Lewis. I guess he went away for a snacker. Hey, you still there? <laughs> yes. Uh, you vanish for a bit. Yeah, you vanish for a bit. Um, you, is there anything you want to say about this film before I move on? Because obviously it's a big film, not just in her catalog, but in global cinema per se at the time. Well, well, it's it's uh, it's uh, it looks gorgeous. It's well photographed, and it's. Um, I guess I really can't add more to what you already said. It's, it's, uh, I mean, hell, if you look on books on erotics, 
cinema. We're not talking about sex per se, but books on no. eroticism and 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 the movies. I mean, this this movie always comes up. Uh, it's it's a watershed. It's a, it's yeah. A, it's it's a big thing. Um, but you know that being said, you know what 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 came after in terms of eroticism. Yeah, uh, it definitely pales, but uh, at the time it was a big, big thing. It's almost like you know, I am curious yellow, I am curious blue, whatever. After after this, you know, like there was a progression, but at the time this was really big. This was really big. You know, people... Yeah, and I'll also argue that I'm curious yellow and all that was huge because it opened the gateway towards pornography. Uh, because right. it was explicit sex going on in certain small points of the film, but it's very different because those films were not only you know intellectual, philosophical, but fucking boring, and the sex was dull. And it was like, well, okay, yeah, they take, no, they, I agree. They, they, I agree. I agree. they don't care because there's no sexuality going on there. Whereas this was hot in that sense. No, no, I I agree with you. I'm, I'm saying this is the the antecedent that this right. is preceding all that as like one of the the gateways. Yeah, you exactly. wouldn't have that if you didn't have a movie like this. Exactly. So I, I mean, uh, I personally believe yes. Okay. If you have more to say, yeah. go for it. No, no, um, no, no. So after this, she does. She goes back to the comedies for a bit. Uh, the bride is much too beautiful. Uh, I have that as well. Louis Jourdain's in it from the you know those of you who know him from the BBC Dracula from the seventies. Um, and octopusy, octopusy, octopusy. <laughs> yes, how can you forget that? Um Parisian, uh, you know, Parisian. Uh nobody famous. Oh actually Charles Boyer's in that from uh of all things, red headed woman, you know, the uh the Gene Harlow film from the, <laughs> the early forties or late thirties. Um Casino Royale he was in. Um but you know, again, just fluffy comedies, nothing too special about them. She does uh Le Bichette de Claire de Lerne, uh which is uh The Night Heaven Fell. It's another Vadim. It's a little heavy-handed, but it's a, he's trying to do uh, the same film again with lesser results. This time, I think her boyfriend wound up being a jewel thief or some crap. Uh, there's, like, <laughs> murders going on. It, it's just, you know, they're on the run from the cops. It's just... Uh, it, yeah, it's she watchable. does a lot of light, light and fluffy at this period, like the Bad Bat picture, too. Yeah, I mean, actually, you know who else is in this film? Alita Vali. Uh, from the Paradigm Case and uh, Suspiria, Killer Nun, Eyes Without a Face. Fernando Ray's in it uh, from Junuel's Tristana, Discreet Term of the Bourgeois, and that screw up, she's got desire. And, and a bunch of Franco Yeah, Cachalari's yeah. Cold as a Fear, High Crime, A Town Called Bastard, which just came out recently, The French Connection 1 and 2, Fulci's White Fang. I mean, he's all over the damn place. Uh, Stephen Boyd was in it from the Bible, Ben Hur, and Chalica. But, you know, is it a good film? Nah, not really. Yeah. It's. it's it's dry. It's trying to be sexier than it really is. Uh, she does in Custom Allure, which is uh, in case of the diverse, uh, adversity. Uh, La Femme de Pantana, Woman Like Satan. Like you mentioned, Babette Goes to War. Uh, then she does, which actually... This actually may be my favorite of her films, honestly. Uh, it's a comedy. It's called uh, Voulez-vous danser avec moi? Uh, come dance with me. Uh, basically, it's a light, fluffy... Um, it's almost like a, 
Scooby Doo of a comedy. Uh, it's that level of silliness. You know exactly where it's going to go the entire time. You can predict the plot from minute one, and yet it's loads of fun. And you're just like, you know, she's so cute, and I really enjoy this. Uh, basically, she's involved with this guy. He's like a dentist. He winds up, I don't know, they have a fight or something, and he winds up getting drunk and these two sleeves bags. This, this woman with a huge teeth. She kind of reminds me of Shanine Renault. And uh, some, <laughs> some other guy, and they blackmail him. You know, they take photos of him, they're incriminating. Yeah, and it's like, really, you're gonna go with this woman here if you're drunk? Seriously, you got Bardot at home? You fucked up. But anyway, uh, no, I'm gonna go with Shanine. Yeah, <laughs> See, just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> well, who knows? I know you like her, uh, but. Uh, <laughs> So, and, oh, yeah, and then uh, actually the sleazy guy in this, this is the funny part, is Sirs Gainsbourg. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, anyway, they do this whole scam on him, and he's trying to hide it, but uh, Bordeaux and I think either her parents or his parents, somehow everybody's like a good person in this film. They're, they're all on his side, uh, and they all wind up trying to investigate in bumbling ways and get the evidence back and find out who did this, get the stuff back and clear them and screw over the blackmails. And that's all it is. That's the entire film. But it's fun. I mean, she runs into a dance studio. This she's actually put out... Did you see the English version put out by Something Weird video? No, I actually have the uh, original French with the uh, subtitles. Yeah, yeah. It. Something Weird put this out. I, did, I guess Brandy found it somewhere and like, uh, <laughs> it was a TV print. So, yeah, pretty tame, but... I, I love this film. Uh, Dawn Adams yeah. is in it from Volta Horror 2. This is Dr. Jekyll. Zeta 1, we talked about. Vampire Lovers. When we talk about Hammer. Thousand Nights of Dr. Mabuza. When we talk about uh, uh, the Edgar Wallace films in a couple of weeks. Uh, Gainsbourg, who I mentioned, he was also at Striptease, which I talked about during the French show. Uh, you know, it's there's if you look at it as like, oh, wait, it's a pure film. Is there anything to like about it? Probably not. But will you enjoy it? Yes. And I really do think it's my favorite film of hers so, <laughs> to this day. Uh, I saw it, and I was like, wow, this is just great. I'm laughing my ass off. I'm enjoying it. You get a warm feeling inside. I was like, okay. And the good guys win at the end, which you don't get in real life. So it's nice to see. Uh, <laughs> strangely, she turns up in a Jean Coteau film, uh, The Testament of Orpheus. Uh, it's basically a cameo, but uh, she's in it for a couple of minutes. Those of you who haven't seen it, it's not like – Coteau, to me, is uh, Beauty and the Beast, uh, La Belle La Bette, and uh, the original uh, Orpheus, which is kind of this dark meditation on poetry and death and the creative impulse. And uh, There was a, a book and film club I used to run on the job, actually, which was nice. And uh, actually, we have a, a local poet laureate, a uh, celebrated poet. Uh, who you know we kind of shared poems back and forth and mutual respect, and we did a, a, a club based on this uh, film itself, and it was great. Uh, so I'm not gonna get too deep into Orpheus itself, but the other ones he had done two more over the succeeding years, one the in Testament, and then I think many years later he did the third one. What I can't remember the name of the damn thing even. Uh, but they don't work as well. They're more experimental. Um, you know, Coteau likes to play with the camera and do all sorts of fascinating tricks that bring it into the realm of fantasy and the unreal. Uh, here it was like, well, yeah, there's some of that going on, but it's more – it takes art house and makes it artsy-fartsy. It's experimental film, I guess, and it doesn't work as well for me. So seeing her in it was kind of like, really? All right. Um 
she actually does that again later, but we'll get to that soon uh, for um, Godard. Anyway, uh, so she does La Verite, which is the film we mentioned before, where in the middle of it she basically did the suicide attempt. Uh, this was kind of a serious one for um, – uh, actually, no, it's Clouseau. Okay. Uh, so it wasn't the one I was thinking of. And then she does uh, a film that's over here is Please Not Now, which is also – this may be my wife's favorite film of hers. Uh, same idea as the one we were just talking about, the Voulez-vous uh, avant faire avec moi. Le Bride sur le coup is the original name. And it's actually, strangely enough, a Vadim film. The guy who wanted her to get out of light, fluffy comedies, he made one of her better ones. Um, basically, she's a model this time. And she's like, yeah, hey, my boyfriend is whatever, screw around me or whatever. And she goes and plots revenge on the guy and you actually see her get a freaking shotgun and follow him up to where he's like at a resort with his new girlfriend <laughs> like she's gonna blow him away uh and some other guy who is i guess he's like a photographer uh at the model company he, he's hot for it she's has no eyes for anything except getting revenge on her ex-boyfriend uh but eventually he manages to calm her down and through a series of you know silly misunderstandings or whatever he gets her to fall in love with him and all's well and the couples both you know shake hands and they'll all you know they all get together and once again a happy ending uh on a ski resort loads of fun if it wasn't for the other film i'd say it was my favorite and definitely it is my <laughs> best favorite so <laughs> but a stupid film it's, it's, yeah, again, filmically, if you're like, oh, yes, let's talk about the great films of you know Western civilization, you're not going to say, please not now, and you know, click on dance with me. Uh, but you know, in terms of, yeah, what is a great Bordeaux film, I would pull these two out for sure, and I would definitely show them to people. They're, they're loads of fun. Um, then she does the one I had mentioned before, uh, V. Privé, a, a Very Private Affair. Uh, which was the Louis Mal one that was actually so maybe it was the Verite that she had that suicide after, uh, based on that you know it was kind of sensationalized, uh, you know, faux autobiography if you will. Uh, goes on to do another one I like from Vadim, which is more like his usual Warriors Rest. Um, I like this one a hell of a lot too, but it's as a drama. Um, basically this guy, uh, he's a poet and a drunk, I believe. And, uh, he basically, she's, she's doing her best to take care of him. In other words, he's just kind of in the balls of his ass and totally self-destructive. And she does her best to take care of him. And he being him, he sort of lashes out at her and treats her like crap. And eventually, you know, he, he's acting out. He goes around and grabs other women and starts making out with them in front of her and whatever. And she just kind of suffers in silence. And eventually he just, I don't know, she decides to leave or whatever. But he breaks down and finally, you know, admits, hey, I'm a fuck up. You know, <laughs> if you really want me, then I'm, I'm here. I'm yours. And that's kind of how the film ends. You know, she succeeds in getting him and straightening him out, if you will. And honestly, with my past history, I saw that as semi-autobiographical. <laughs> so I have a strong attachment to this film. Um you know, it's again, it's a uh, Vadim film, and Vadim films are sort of um, dark and, in a lot of ways, perverse. Uh, yeah. You know, even the comedy where you just talked about No Not Now, where you know she's basically running around with a shotgun and trying to figure out all these ways that she's going to murder her ex. Uh, it, it's black humor. You know, it's dark. 
Um, he's not considered a fantastic filmmaker, but I do enjoy his stuff. Um, actually, this one actually had uh, Robert Hossein in it, uh, who you might recognize from a lot of the. Uh, oh, actually, he was in one of the uh, Jalos. They, they went over there. It's a French. Yeah. Yes, and also a crime film uh, that I got recently. They they sold it as like a Pulciatechi because it was filmed in Italy, but it's actually a French film with Hossein in it. I can't remember the name of it right now because I just saw it you know, a month or two back and I see so many freaking films. Uh, James Robson Justice was in it too. We talked about with the Dr. C. Uh, Masha Maril is in it. You know, it's... It's a decent film, uh, you know. If you're into a drama that's you know sort of a relationship type thing, and uh, you've got a little bit of a dark bent yourself, or have been self-destructive in your life and trying to straighten out, uh, you may enjoy this one as well. Uh, one that I was big on when I was younger doesn't work as well nowadays. Uh, Jean-Luc Godard did *Lima Prix*, uh, *Contempt*, and actually the impact of this film on the shores was such that for years. People were saying, and you can see it, like you look at these old biographies and autobiographies and filmographies and whatever. A lot of times you would see people saying that Bardot was a pseudonym that wasn't her real name, and her real name was Camille Javal, which is just the character she played in this freaking film. <laughs> her name really is Brigitte Bardot. Uh, but, you know, uh, Josephine Levine was involved in it, Carla Ponte was involved in it. And Godard, being who he was, uh, you know, he'd be a famous. Uh, Shitty autobiography of the Stones. You know what you're talking about, one plus one, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's kind of uh, interesting in and of itself. Uh, but he had to go and basically give everybody the bird. So Levine saying, well, it's Bordeaux. We got her in there. We got to show some tits and ass. So he does this really bizarre sequence in the beginning where he's showing disembodied parts of her, like, you know, going up and down and flashing, changing colors and uh, saying weird things. Like, there's this conversation where it's like, do you like my toes? Yes, I like your toes. How about my fingers? I love your fingers. I need my hair. Your hair is great. And how about well, why, do you, why, why do you think the film is called Contempt? I'm sure Godard was... And had even, contempt for everything, yeah. And even more than fucking with him like that, he makes this whole film, the character in it, first off, the guy who's making the film in the first place is this simpering Lily that basically just hands over his hot wife to a guy who was a dead analog for Joseph E. Levine, uh, who ends up being Jack Palance. And he is this brassy, obnoxious, cigar-smoking uh producer, basically, comes in and wants to make a film with this uh, Fritz Lang, who's in the film. Uh, they He gets into all this weird crap about like you know Greek archetypes and drama. And, you know, it's Godard. You know, half of it makes sense, and half of it is just totally out of his ass. Uh, he, was very, he was a very sloppy filmmaker, I think. But, basically, uh, the whole thing is just rubbing it in <laughs> this guy's face. To some extent, Carl Ponte as well, but definitely Joseph E. Levine. He was just like giving the birth to this movie. Um, and yet, it's a beautiful film to look at. It's well filmed. Um, Michelle Piccoli is in it as the, the weak uh, husband there. Uh, and he was in stuff like, you know, Diabolic and Belle de Jour and Sweet Charm of the Bourgeois, Grand Buffet for uh, Marco Ferrari. Mm-hmm. Uh, even Traveling Campaign with Ajar Argento or uh, La Belle de Wanzuse for Rivette with um, Emmanuel Bayard. Uh, you know, like I said, Palance was in it. Uh, or, uh, sorry, he, he liked to call himself Palance or Jack Palance. Um, Fritz Lang. It's really visually sumptuous, but what is it saying? Eh, not a hell of a lot. It's kind of dark. 
Uh, my wife hated it. You know, she really doesn't like the dramas too much. Um, and my view on it has changed over the years from being like, wow, what a great film to be in. Yeah, it's kind of pretentious. But, you know, but it looks good in it. <laughs> Uh, but it was a big thing in her filmography. People always say, oh, yeah, she was in contempt. Um, she did another comedy called The Ravishing Idiot. All right. Oh, that's yeah. what you're talking about. That's the one. That's she the one I was talking about. Uh, actually, you know who's the spy, actually, was uh, Tony Perkins, of all people. Yeah, Psycho. yeah, yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah. You want to talk about it since you're the spy guy? <laughs> spy guy. <laughs> yeah, well, well, this this one is, uh, you know, there was... Uh, a lot of a uh, Delita was also a French actress that was really popular at this time. Right. There were a lot of uh, the James Bond phenomena was big. You know, after Doctor No, we talked yeah, about that, we so, that yeah. a couple of weeks ago, and and so they would just drag up anybody they could find and make these light, piffy little entertainments. And I guess uh, with Brigitte, they actually talked her into being in this one called The Ravishing <laughs> Idiot. And uh, Anthony Perkins is like this bumbling, unattractive. Hey, it's Tony Perkins, psycho. You know, he's, he's, he's this oddball little yeah. Mormon-esque kind of dude <laughs> who's who's been, been told by the... Uh, British and French intelligence that yeah he's replacing like their ace spy. And Bridget plays uh, Penelope like the hot chick, right? Of course. And uh, the film has uh, yeah because it's French, it has lots of double crosses and triple crosses. And actually, the movie ends or nearly ends with a very downbeat. Hey, it's French. Yes. Very downbeat kind of uh, fashion. Before suddenly somebody either went into reshoots or decided, you know what, we probably don't want to end the movie this way. I thought that was so arbitrary. I'm like, wait a minute, this is horrible. Wait, no, they give you a happy ending, but that didn't fit. So, yeah, you're probably right. It was a reshoot thing. <laughs> yeah, it looked like it was a reshoot thing. And and, and it's not a terrific movie. It's it's an oddball title. It's it's nearly forgotten, actually, in everybody's career. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, of all things, it reminded me of that Tony Randall Agatha Christie movie, the ABC Murders. It was like, yeah. really, Tony Randall? It's the same kind of oddball feeling. Like, yeah, okay, I guess I'm glad I saw that, but <laughs> I don't know if I could want to see it again. <laughs> yeah, that's, I guess I guess you could say that's a pretty. I guess you can do an analogy. Yeah, it's pretty close. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then, but then, but then, then because Brigitte Bardot is so popular now, she yeah. she comes to America and there's she finally Brigitte. does her American yes she finally does her American film and it's this piece of shit uh, we actually yes. named the show after her uh, after this movie today uh, partly because it was about her and partly because it's sort of you know meta and self referential but also it's sort of a joke because it's the worst film she ever made. Uh, <laughs> it's this piece of shit. Some some guy that was like, I don't know if you ever direct another film, Harry Henry Coster. Who the hell's that? Uh, uh. Gets Jimmy Stewart in this film. Now I was just talking about this before with my wife. She's like, Why do you name this uh, show Dear Brigitte? Where, you know, that must have been from some kind of title. And I was telling her about the film before the show started, and she was laughing. I'm like, you know, basically think about this. 
You got friggin' Billy Moomy from Lost in Space, right? He's all of like what seven, eight? Uh, it's all like geeky. Yeah, but don't we want to ask Billy Mummy what, what his uh, his memories might be of this? Well, sure, <laughs> he's it'd always be great, posting but... pictures. He's always posting pictures about this. But think about this. He's like we, we talked about Johnny Sacco last week. Here's this yeah. kid that's all like maybe eight, if you're lucky. And yeah. he's hot for Bridget Bardot. Now, hold on a second already. First off, who the fuck is taking an eight-year-old kid to see Bridget Bardot films? They're all like rated R, right? They're all like adult films at the time. Uh, you know, it was kind of considered racy. Why yeah. is some little kid into her? It's like, this is just so wrong in the first place. He's got posters that were all over the room. What kind of father would buy posters of Bridget Bardot for a five-year-old kid? Well, who was uh, the father? Was, was it Jimmy Stewart? Jimmy Stewart. Of all people, yeah. so you're like, okay, this guy yeah. was a totally a shitty parent, you know, pervert, whatever. It's fucking Jimmy Stewart. So what I was thinking of was, you know, how Hitchcock always cast him as like a pervert, like in Vertigo or Rear Window. Yeah, and, you know, maybe he was on to something. Maybe that was the real Jimmy Stewart because here he is in Dear Brigitte with his five-year-old kid that's really in the Bardot. Uh, but, uh, we will never know. He goes and <laughs> writes this letter to her, which is where the title comes from, Uh and somehow, there was a love letters he used to write to her. And she, I guess because she realizes this is a kid, is like, yeah, come on, come to France if you're ever here and then come visit me. So they actually go over there. There's a whole thing about how they you know, get the money together, wherever the hell they get them over there. And they meet her for all of you know four minutes. And she's obviously good humored about it, but it's like very uncomfortable. It's probably the only time she actually speaks in English. So you get to hear her accent, but, you know, it's, and it's cute in that respect, but it's like, what the fuck was everybody thinking? Really? And you, first off, anybody that went to see this film think, oh, it's a Bridget Bordeaux film because you know they haven't seen any of her foreign ones, and maybe their their wives were too like you know hitting them, so you can't go see the racing one. You had to go see this thing. <laughs> and this horrible like family comedy with Jimmy Stewart and Billy Mooney, and she's in it for all of four or five minutes, and it's just it sucks. It is an atrocity of film. But- it's the but, it's kind but, of filmmaking but, but, that I hate most from the 50s and 60s, this smarmy, intelligent comedy sort of. But, yeah, go ahead. But this is the popularity of the Lucille Ball, Henry Fonda yeah. movies. Don't you remember exactly. those things? That's what I mean. Lucille I hate Ball, that shit. Henry Fonda, uh, uh, not even Rock Hudson. Rock Hudson was still considered oddly cool at this point. But, no, there were a couple of other people. Uh, 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 uh not Eddie Albert, but some other dude like him. And then, like, with six, you get egg rolls. It was yes. Like, oh, Dar- you remember this? Yeah, the yeah they the were like... Babies. The pillow talk. Rock- yeah. Oh, pillow talk. Okay. Yeah, yeah, they were like odd things toward the mid to late 60s. Sandra D. movies. The, <laughs> yeah. yeah, which is the things we're getting into Did now, you? which is like... <laughs> they were trying to figure out, like, well... We have to acknowledge that there is sexiness in these European movies, so let's try to make the American version of this. We have no fucking idea what we're yeah. doing. We have no idea what we're doing. So, be with us. <laughs> yeah. It's this safe, horrible, like, monsters-level humor, those of you who've watched that TV series. It's like, really? This is what you're going to use? It's it's like worse than... I mean, I enjoy Elvis movies, but it's like worse than an Elvis movie? I mean, like, come on, really? This is what you're going to put her in? Get the fuck out of here. I hate these kind of films. I hate them with a passion. I hate this <laughs> era with a passion. So, anyway, this is what it was. Oh, uh, another one. Yours, mine, and ours. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. That was another one. Yeah. <laughs> They 
they all coming to me now. Get them out of my head. Well, how, about, <laughs> how about even Marilyn Monroe films? Like, uh, what the hell was that one? A seven-year itch? Like, oh, my God. And it was, oh, oh yeah. That's classic. That's classic cheese. Up. I'm like, fuck this. Tom Yule. That's no. classic cheese. That's classic cheese, though. Uh, I mean, the best thing you got in that entire batch was Bell Book and Candle, and that's hard to watch. Uh, at least you got the witchiness there, but good Lord. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but, but you got some cool Bob Fosse stuff, though. It was There's about freaking cool beatniks. Uh, well, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, though, Viva Maria follows. Yes. Viva Maria, for some reason, she actually got some kind of award, like a BAFTA award for this thing. It's not terrible, but it's not, no, it's great. not great. Yeah, I mean, it's a Louis Malle film. They shot down in Mexico. Jean Moreau's in it. Uh, there's a lot of promotion to this because they say, oh, Jean Moreau, France is great. It's like a Western, but... Yeah, it's kind of iffy Western. What I liked about it was she, Bardot was a revolutionary. She was kind of um, uh, almost like, you know, in the Mexican Revolution, you see all these films they got. So she's there throwing dynamite at trains and crap. And, you know, very much the tomboyish thing. She's going around like a pork pie hat and whatever. And at some point, they have to do this thing where they are pretending to be basically escaping the law uh, and get away with what they're doing. Um, a can can girl, and everybody like that's what they use in the promotion all the time. Them like doing the can can and stuff. You know, it, you know why I, I thought they made this movie. Why there was a movie that was made the same year that that baffled everyone because it actually worked. It was a western called The Professionals. It was a, I think a Richard Brooks film. Okay. And you had Lee Marvin, Burt Lancaster, blah, 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 Jack Palance. And that's probably why it, it was. <laughs> yeah, it was a really good. It's actually one of the best Euro-type American Westerns ever made. Succeed I like Lee Marvin anyways. If he's in it, it's probably decent. So. I hate oh, to say that. It's a fucking people, great but. movie. If you've ever <laughs> seen The Professionals by Richard Brooks, it's really, I say it's good. And I think Viva Maria, they wanted to put, Two of Francis' main leading actresses and popular for Baba Boomness. Yep. And two a kind of Western type atmosphere. With George spectrum. Hamilton from Sextet, Love at First Bite, and Zorro the Gay Blade. What the fuck was George Hamilton doing in it? But yeah, go ahead. Well, no, at this time, George <laughs> Hamilton was a really good suntan model type <laughs> dude, right? So, yeah, I'll. I think, I think it was influenced by the success of the professionals. And but this was like these two girls was involved in some kind of uh oh my god, help me out. Well they they involved in some kind of uh uh revolutionary thing. Yeah, they're revolutionary thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh I think it's like a peasant army kind of a thing, you know. Peasant army thing, yeah. And and you know what? Viva Maria, if you if you just count any semblance of it being a good movie or a bad movie, <laughs> it falls apart. While you're watching it, it literally falls apart, and by the end, you don't care about it. Exactly. In the beginning sequences where they're bombing the train and doing all this kind of crap, I'm like, okay, this is different. I kind of like this. And then you start yeah, getting the nice petticoats and thigh And you're shots. questioning yeah. it, but it's all right. They look good, fine, whatever. And then they start singing, and then it just kind of, as you mentioned, like goes on, and you're like, well, all right, I'm, I'm done with this film. And so you still have like 25 yeah. minutes to go. <laughs> Uh, so I don't know what the deal was there, other than the fact that you know they had the star power to go and sell it, but it was not a good film. It wasn't a horrible film, but it wasn't a good film. Um, 
she pops up in a couple of uh, cameo type films. There's something called Marie Soleil, uh, and as I mentioned, she was in Godard's Masculine Feminine, which is another unwatchable Godard film. I don't think he ever did a film that was watchable except maybe Contempt. Um, and Breathless? she just pops up. Yeah, I didn't care for Breathless. Yeah. I, I'm not a Jane Seaberg fan. I'm sorry. Um, but you know, I could see why people like it. I just eh, it didn't work for me at all. Um, so here she pops up basically in a cafe. You know, how French is that? Sitting around, smoking a cigarette, having a coffee, and bullshitting. And that's it. He just throws it in the middle of a film. I'm like, all right, I'm glad I saw her, but why was she there? <laughs> Typical Godard. Um, and actually, you know, who was in that film was uh, Chantal Goya, who was actually another uh, – we're talking about like how Bardot's music is kind of like Ye Ye. She was a popular Ye Ye girl at the time. Uh, those of you who know your 60s pop music. Uh, that was the French um, eh, sort of bubblegum, sort of Beatles-ish uh, music that was very popular there at the time. And it's actually eminently listenable, especially if you're into kitsch and uh, retro type stuff. I love yay music. Um, so, and, you know, Jean-Pierre Leo was in it, uh, who was in Day for Night, Norma Vep, and Last Tango in Paris. Um, who else? Yeah, that's basically it. Uh, so then she does... Another one that was trying to be a Vadim film, but it wasn't. It was by Serge Boyan, uh, uh Two Weeks in September. It's, I liked it a lot when I was younger. Nowadays, it's just kind of cheesy. She's a model once again. Uh, she's got an older guy that she's hot with and you know sleeping around with. And she goes on vacation, basically. I think they sent her away to get whatever, for a break or for a photo shoot or something. And... Some young guy who's basically a geek stalker. I mean, it's funny. You watch these films now, you're like, God, this guy would have been arrested or something. Uh, Lauren Terzieff, and he just goes and chases her all around the fucking place uh, trying to get in her pants. And finally he does in this old – You know, they, they wound up um, holding up in somebody's farm, almost like the, the Jesus story. And, and they're doing it in the hay, and they wake up the next morning. There's some, like, romance to it, but it's really kind of weird and stalkerish. Um she does, as you had mentioned at the beginning of the show, Spirits of the Dead, Histoire Extraordinaire, which was a strange film. Uh, unfortunately, she was not in the good segment. There's three segments in here. Um, let's see. Who was it that did the damn things? Uh, Vadim did one, uh, which had his then squeeze, Jane Fonda, in it, and Peter Fonda, but it's not very good. Uh, Louis Maul did one, which is the one that she's in, and it's not very good. And then Federico Fellini does one that's just like Mario Bava's Kill Baby Kill. And it's yeah. great. It's fantastic. Kurt um, Stamp yeah. is in it. He's gets more and more dissolute and fucked up and drunk. I guess more hallucinatory as it goes. Uh, it's called Never, Never Bet the Devil with Your Head, Toby Dammit. Really, really good. Uh, and you know what? And you know what? I want to take a digression with this. Uh all all the stuff I've ever read about Spirits of the Dead and the, the Toby Dammit thing with Terrence Stamp, nobody ever addresses the fact that it looks like Terrence Stamp is drinking and really freaking yeah. stone on his mind. Oh yeah, he and, was. I, yeah, yeah. And and, and and it's it's really interesting that his character would be so completely crazy. It's probably the weirdest thing that as close to a Bava movie yeah. we ever got it by was somebody Bob else. And I think at one point, somebody had said in print, now I don't know if it was Fellini or if it was somebody, you know, biographers or what, 
But somebody said, yeah, basically Fellini had seen the Baba film and you know kind of took the idea uh, because it I was love so. Kill, baby, kill. I it love was that. so obviously taken from yeah. there. When you watch the film, I like Fellini films. Don't get me wrong. There's a few of them that I actually love. Uh, I do think he's a good director, but he is but. not this sort of director. This was a Mario Bava thing. He stole it blind. Uh, whether he did it better or not is uh, arguable because it's really good. But nonetheless, it was that's what he was doing. Uh, but like you said, I mean, the hallucinatory nature, is the, the fact that Stamp is so dissolute, and you actually watch him progressively falling apart and getting more coked up and hysterical and whatever. Uh, he gets more pale. His hair gets all freaky. He's just, you know, by the time he drives down that thing uh, laughing, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to run the girl down and have Chris's hair gets cut off. Uh, it's just... He was leading up to it the whole time. It was very well crafted for you know basically a forty minute vignette, um, yeah. and yet Bardot was in this film, but not in the good one. She was actually in the worst one, which was this William Wilson thing. Uh, they're all supposed yeah. to be more or less based on Poe, which isn't really true, but okay. Um, I, you know, it's just boring. It, it's actually a, a really boring Poe story. Uh, something about the guy seeing his doppelganger and it freaking him out. I never understood the story itself. It was just kind of too dull for me. And the movie is no exception. And she's going around in a black wig and just kind of playing like she's royalty or something. Well, yeah. what we're actually leading to the next three years, which is pretty much leading up to why she retired. Right, exactly. <laughs> she starts with some questionable films. Um, you know, like we have Shalako. Yeah, well, Dear Brigitte was kind of the tripping point, actually. Shalako, uh, yeah. right? This damn thing, Edward Dimitri does it. Okay, you know, all right, if you're into film noir, Edward Dimitri, oh, yeah, you know, great filmmaker. Uh-huh. Well, not here. Um, <laughs> it's it, a bizarre movie. I think it's a really I like this one, weird movie. I like this one a lot better than Viva Maria. It's probably her best Western, but that's not saying much. Uh, it's got Sean Connery in it. Bardot is in it. Stephen Boyd's in it again. Peter Van Eck is in it from you know stuff like The Snorkel, A Thousand Eyes of Dr. Mabuza. Uh, actually, he's in yeah, all yeah. Dr. Mabuza films uh, in the 60s. Requiem for a Secret Agent. Honor Blackman's in it. Um, you know, Obviously, Kathy Gale from The Avengers, Goldfinger to The Devil of Daughter. Woody Strode is in it from things like Kaoma and DeLeo's Loaded Guns. Black Rodeo with Muhammad Ali. Byron Quisenberry's Scream he was in. Kingdom of the Spiders with Shatner. Um, Alexander Knox is in it from Puppet on the Chain and The Damned and Martino. We talked about Sergio Martino last week with Holocaust 2000. You know, it's got a good cast. And, you know, it's – how would you describe this one? I mean, they're basically, they're, they're out there. They've got royalty out there doing hunting, and they end up running afoul of the Native Americans. Uh, and Sean Connery serves for Terry. But it's – I, I don't know. I mean, I hate to say it works because it's not in a level like a spaghetti western, but it's one I always enjoyed. Uh, what, what do you think? It's, I think you enjoy it because it's dark and you're a sadistic yeah. bastard like myself. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Well, this is Connery in between, like, I quit, I don't want to come back, maybe I'll come yep. back, Bond type thing. And uh, here exactly. he, I think he already did the hill and he he, he might have been doing Women's Destroyer around the same time. Right, but he did not do the offense yet. No. So, and he did not come back to Bond till 71. So, like, right. this is not a time the laser be stepped in. So, um, Sean, looking rather bedraggled. Yes. Every time, <laughs> um, Wasn't that around Zardoz? Not, he did Zardoz around this time, didn't he? No, that's <laughs> later. It's 74. 
Okay. No, still 68, 69. No, Sean looking not hefty, but, you know, a little worse for the wear. Yeah. Yeah, he, he he's unlikable. And, and you know, when, when you want to root, when you're, when you're watching a Western, yeah, it's like uh, the trouble with the Django movies, too. Like, Franco Nero, you rooted for Franco, but as a, as a, the sequels without Franco came on, like you don't like fucking Django, so why are you gonna why even watch these things? You know, it's like, <laughs> and the, the thing with Shalako is, Sean, I, I, whether he was directed this way or whatever, or whether he was like so starstruck with his own magnificent four-dimensional aura <laughs> that he decided that I'm going to play it the way I want to. He he kind of play, I, for me, I thought he played it kind of unlikable. So yeah, a, I thought my my yeah. impression of this was that he was pissed off because I understand a lot of people were pissed off at the filmmaking and the production. It's some, something about it. I don't know if it was the clash of personalities or if it was filming out in the desert or what the deal was, but somehow a lot of people were pissed off, and nobody views it as a high point in their careers by a long shot. So my take is that he was just kind of I hate to say acting out, but he's like, "Well, oh, fuck you! I don't like the way you do this, so I'm going to do it." And, and it did look like him and Brigitte got along at all. No. They hated yeah. each other. She had nothing yeah. but bad words from him, as I recall. Just again, going back from years ago, I was reading biographies, but yeah, that was my yeah. impression. He hated him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so it was another yeah. field attempt to break her, break her into international pictures. Yeah. And it didn't work, of course. Um, then she does The Women, La Femme, uh, which is a strange little film where basically, and now this is Bridge Bardot, right? Okay, she's getting older. But she's still like, you know, the sex kitten. She's the symbol of France. Everybody's like totally hot for her. She's got a singing career. They put her in this subordinate role where she basically is a secretary uh, taking down this guy's autobiography. And he tells her about all these different women that he slept with. And she wants nothing to do with him. You know, basically she just sits there and he gets all hot for her and she looks at him like, get the fuck away from me, you freak. And at the end, you know, basically he's like throwing himself at her and all these women meant nothing, but I want you. And she's like, yeah, all right, whatever. Gets off the transcedia and <laughs> walks away from him. And that's the end of the film. It's really about this sleazy guy and his, you know, five billion girlfriends. And she's just sitting there typing away, looking pissed off. And that's the end of it. She has nothing to do with him. She's never considered like, um, I don't want the eye candy role. She's never part of the proceedings. She's just kind of there as a almost like a Greek chorus of disgust. She's almost like mm. the mother figure, like, oh, like, what do you do with your life? Kind of thing. Really? Um, I never really liked this film at all. They never, they did bring it over to DVD, but they never brought it over to VHS. I remember that the only time I had seen it before uh, I came to DVD in a set was on a Spanish language channel. So I had a Spanish language recording for years, and it still sucks. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're like me. Yeah, find it where you can get it. Yeah. Exactly. So then she does uh, The Bear and the Doll, the Or Le Poupe, uh, which, again, she gets involved with some old rich guy who's like a musician, uh, and she more or less seduces him, because they, they have, a, they have a, uh, a traffic accident, basically. Um and the, the yeah, it's one of those things like okay, are they gonna fall in love or not? And do you really give a flying fuck? It actually reminded me a bit of uh, there was a show in the eighties with Anton Rogers who was from uh, Zodiac, which is one of my mm. favorite British uh, shows. We'll get to when we talk about British called TV. And here he is, and basically, you know, he's an old man in made in December. This film, uh, this thing in the eighties. 
And he's got like this young, you know, maybe 30, 40 something woman chasing after this like 75 year old guy. And she's like, oh, well, you know, I love you because you're a fun guy to be around or something. I don't know why, you know, she's playing shuffleboard or something, going to bingo. But <laughs> nonetheless, you're supposed to root for them. And I was like, well, you know, there's something cute about this, but also it's like, I don't really give a fuck about these two people. And that's what you feel here with this film. It's like, well, why do I care about it? She's kind of a bitch, and he's an old man, and, you know, like, why are we watching this even? Um, she does the novices, which is supposed to be like a non-sportation sort of a thing. I, it's I guess very it's kind of forgettable. Like, yeah. yeah, it's like Sister Act, you know, a shitty thing with Whoopi Goldberg, because basically, you know, you've got nuns there. N- nothing too naughty. It's not like the Italian exploitation film or something, but, you know, they, they, they'll go and maybe they'll smoke a cigarette and kick up their heels and dance or, you know, whatever. And it's like, ooh, isn't that naughty? And it's just, it, I don't know. It's not horrible, but it's not good either. Uh, the only other person of note in it is uh, Annie Giraudot, who was in stuff like The Witches, the 1966 film, and uh, Ferrari's uh, Dillinger is Dead. Um, so, you know, if you're a, a star fucker, basically, there you go, but eh, it's, it's not a film you really want to waste your time on. Uh, she does something called Boulevard du Rome, Rum Runners, uh, one that I have on VHS, but never came over to DVD, or I never cared to get it. Legend of Frenchie King, seen it. Le Petrol use. Uh, the big claim oh, I saw here. Frenchie King. I saw Frenchie yeah, King. The big claim to fame is that there's a lot of hot women. Involved. Basically, she has a posse. So you got Claudia Cardinal from Eight and a Half and the Pink Panther. You got Bordeaux, who is Frenchie King. You got Patty Shepard from uh, Werewolf vs. the Vampire Woman, Crypto Living Dead, My Dear Killer. You got Emma Cohen from Night Horror Rise from the Tomb, Cutthroat's Nine and Campbell Man. You got Teresa Gimpower from Night of the Devils, Crypto Living Dead, and People in the Dark. It's a hot cast. I mean, most of them are Spanish, obviously. It was a Spanish uh, French co production. Uh, but. You know, gorgeous women, and yet it doesn't fucking work. Michael J. Pollard's there for some strange from Sleepaway Camp 3 and Night Visitor. Uh, yeah, he's in Heat of Vengeance with Richard Hatch, a friend of Code Red. Uh, basically, they, they're outlaws. They do a train robbery. There's like they get a, a horrible red, movie. Man. There's like oil on it. They start like, you know, they become like claim, uh, what do they call them, like uh, homesteaders or whatever, you know, where they get a ranch. See, when you dropped all those names, people are like, wow, I want to see that. It's but a you bad don't. movie. You yeah, don't want to I mean, yeah. yeah, if it came in one of these sets, I'd be like, okay, well, I'd look at it once in a while just because there's all these hot girls in it. But the movie is horrible. I mean, it's really that's bad. bad. It's, it's actually the worst of her westerns, and that says something. Uh, yeah, I, and I don't think it's ever been released here. It was released here in English on VHS Yeah, from some uh, bootleg company. Like a, yeah, it was a bootleg it company. It was because once comes to put out tapes in EP speed, so it lasts like a week. It was EP speed, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Remember that? Yeah, we saw the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's this thing you, can, you used to find VHSs were always super expensive. It wasn't like, well, okay, it's getting to be that way again, which sucks. But, you know, these, these companies are out of their minds, but they're asking nowadays for DVDs. But... You know, for a long time, DVDs were cheap. You know, you get them for twelve bucks and so on and so forth, and they were even cheaper. You know, go to a Walmart and for five bucks. This was VHSs were always really expensive. You know, the cheapest they DVDs were was like twenty something dollars, and they went up to you know, if you got ones that were like self, you know, rental instead of sell through, they'd go up to the hundreds of dollars. Um, yeah. You know, this was one of those tapes that was like a five dollar cheapie. So you get the idea. Um, she does yeah, no, you're time. right, you're right. And, and maybe one, one, one day we'll address this, because I remember I really found a great print of The Devil's Wedding Night. 
Really? Beautiful, beautiful print. Yeah, yeah. It was like a mom and pop in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. And uh, the box was nice, but the print was like blowing me out. It was a great print. Wow. And I said, how much would you like if I bought this? Guy looks up on his computer and he goes, $97. What do you get? Yeah. $97. What are you, crazy? Needless yep. well, uh, to say, I did not buy it. That's the problem. My friend uh, that I got actually met him in sixth grade over, I mentioned in the past, over Equinox, the um, uh, the Jack Hill film. Uh, You know, he was big on the stuff on the beta days. And I remember one year, his only present for the entire year from birthday, Christmas, whatever, was he got a copy of Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things because it cost like, you know, $75, $80 or some crap. And this kind of stuff happened all the time. I remember I got a copy of Dear Dead Delilah, and I was like totally upset because it was like 25 bucks. But I'm like, all right, might as well get it. And I'm probably lucky I had a damn thing on VHS because nobody's ever bought it on a DVD. It's a fun movie, people. Put it out. It's a Southern Gothic axe murders. Um, What's his name's in it? Uh, uh, Bill, um, the fellow from uh, Bill Kerwin. Is in it uh, with Tallulah Bankhead. Uh, you know, it's a good movie. You should put the frig out, guys. Uh, but anyway, that, that was my like the most no, expensive. No, I, I know exactly film. what you're talking about. Yeah, I've been there. Yeah. Um, so anyway, she goes into this one last film, and I think it was actually as a favor for her ex-husband, Rosie Dean, because we're talking about two years. She didn't do anything after 71. All of a sudden, he says, you know, what are you doing in this film? And it's like, all right, but this is it. I'm going to retire. Uh, 1973, she does. Uh, Don Juan, or uh, if Don Juan were was a woman. Uh, right. It's kind of doing that film, The Women, I just talked about, but in reverse. But again, being uh, Vadim, it's a little more kinky. It's a little more Saudian. Uh She's now looking back on her life and all the men who, not she slept with, but whose lives she ruined, which is Sadian. Uh So, you know, uh, she basically finds these people. And to some extent, it's almost autobiographical, which is probably nasty of him to do, because there's somebody like this, such a distel analog. And, you know, because you'll find, like, okay, here's a rich uh, playboy. No, I'm going to fuck him over and ruin his life. Oh, no, here's a aspiring musician. I'm going to fuck him up and get him addicted to drugs and make him <laughs> kill himself. And, you know, this kind of thing happens over and over again. So I really think he was just kind of commenting on his, her. Her uh, life after him, all the men she got involved with, and then making it like she was just ruining their lives, which is really kind of a, like it's a nasty thing to do. But if you're into Saudi and film, it's worth seeing. Uh, and Robert Hossein's in it again. Um, Jane Birkin's in it if you're into her. Uh, and Maurice Ronet, who was in uh, The Destructors, which is a shitty film right. that I recently saw on Blu-ray. Um, you know, it, it is what it is. It's kind of dark. She's starting to look her age. Uh, she, you know, in these last couple of films, she's not the young hot woman anymore. She's got a little too heavy on the makeup. She lets her hair down. It's not that uh, great, like you know, Pekingese. She was kind of known as like the cute Pekingese for years because she had the kind of pouty whatever with the hair up and everything. And mm-hmm. now she's kind of looking a little bit more serious and worn. And uh, she's wearing dark makeup. Her hair's laying down and kind of stringy. Uh, you know, we're going into the 70s, that's partly the fashion. Why, you don't like that? Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, she wasn't ugly or anything. It was just like, eh, it doesn't look the way she used to. And I think she realized that herself, and that's where she's like, you know what, let me go out while people still think I'm hot. (laughs) And, uh, you know, that was the end of it. She's enough with this fucking filmmaking, and she never made another one. She just went off and did her animal activism, and um, for the most part, that was it, other than the events that we had mentioned earlier. So uh, is there anything you want to close with? Because what I think about Bardot is 
her naturalness, the fact that she came on a scene that was uh, afflicted by the likes of, you know, a Marilyn Monroe or even like a Tuesday Weld or whatever, just kind of like, you know, Mamie Vanderen and um, what the hell's her name there, uh, Jane Mansfield, and those really tacky, obvious, softing uh, mm. blondes going and uh, doing the exaggerated walks and talking like, like, oh, I got to be the girly, because the guy's like that, Ooh. oh, help me. And she just walked in the middle of this kind of thing and was herself. Now, to the extent you could say that about some of the Italians, like Sophia Loren had that a bit, but Sophia Loren was also kind of a, a jet setter and you know accustomed to the finer things in life. Or, or, or Claudia Cardinale. Sure. Yeah, Cardinale, I was thinking of her as well, or Lola Brigida, but they were kind of lesser Lorenz. Uh, you mentioned Eckberg, um, Ursula Andrus. You know, there were people yeah. out there in Europe that were a hell of a lot more realistic than what we had over here with this phony image. But uh, nonetheless, none of them even came close to Bardo. Bardo was uh, – I hate to say feminist. That's not really what I'm looking for, but she was who she was, and mm. it – came out. She was natural. She was sexy. She was organic. Uh, you know, basically well, it was... Go ahead. Well, I, I think she, from the get-go, even though she probably, uh, it appears, had poor choices in male companions. Yeah. <laughs> um, isn't that kind? Um, I think she always knew, even at a young age, what what she brought to the table. She yes. knew who she was. She knew what she looked like. She knew what she could offer. Yep. And I think she did, to the best of her abilities, she tried to do something different, and she tried to really put it out there. I think as as time when I'm... Well, let's just talk about like something like Shalako and Legend of Frenchie King. She got to the point where, you know, like, She's still, you know, she's not middle-aged yet. She's still young, yeah. but she realized, well, I can't do anything with this anymore because times have changed, Yeah. and they don't want to adapt with me. I don't want to adapt with them. Right. So I'm going to stop. Yeah, that's very and, true. And, you know, and that's admirable, and that's, ad- and that's admirable, I would say, at this, at this time for her. Yeah. That's part of what I liked about her, the naturalness that not only came across in the sexuality, but in the comedy, you know, the, the naturalness, the kind of yeah. goofiness that she possessed. And yet you could tell she was very smart at the same time. It wasn't like she was an idiot. Sure. You know, it wasn't like a Monroe thing where it's like, ooh, ooh, help me, I'm a moron. It was, you know, I know what I'm doing, but I'm going to do something goofy like, you know, burn your clothes or trip just because, you know, I'm, I am who I am. I'm a person. I'm fallible. And yet, so what? You love me anyway. And like you said – uh, I don't blame her for the, quote, poor choices in men because I really think that was Vadim's fault. And I like Vadim, so don't get me wrong here. I'm not going to say that back Vadim. But uh, the thing is, actually, in a lot of ways, I identify with Vadim. I'm kind of decadent myself uh, more than a little bit. But uh, <laughs> that's why I got a show I'm hosting with the Vadim Osleys here. We get along. We understand each other. <laughs> but, uh, you yeah, know, but, 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 but Vadim... Vadim is but one of her companions. Yeah. Right, well, what I'm saying is she married him at a very young age. He kind of, yes. uh, I hate to say seduced her away from her middle class upbringing, but nonetheless, that's kind of what he did. He was the artsy, dangerous guy that had crazy ideas. And uh, right. he, uh, he was Russian Jewish and whatever the hell else. And a bohemian, and uh, you know, out in the left bank, you know, kind of a almost like a beatnik. He was artsy, you know, he was involved mm-hmm. with the art 
Uh, he was he woke her up to a bigger world, if you will. He broke her out of small yeah. town bourgeois, whatever, and introduced her to how the world really runs. Uh, the trick is that he was so decadent and so soddy and so much like you know the author of Emmanuel Arsan, who was people say was really the husband. Um, you know. <sighs> He kind of shot himself in the foot. I don't know that he regretted it at all, but she did. Uh, she yeah. felt uh, betrayed by that in a lot of ways, and I think to the extent that she did go with these other people that he was pushing her into, it was more like acting out, like, oh, okay, you're going to push me in his arm? Like, fuck you, I'm going to do it and see how you like that. And he didn't react, and then she ended up dumping him, and then she's kind of stuck in this spiral of, well, this guy wasn't really what I wanted, and, oh, wait, no, I'll try this guy. No, this guy's not what I want. He's not, yeah, exactly, no, exactly. this guy's not what I want. He's too weak, and this guy's not what I wanted, and but, but, on and on, on. So I think she kind of yeah. got trapped in that by her first husband not being the wrong choice for her, but the fact that he was just – he pushed it a little too far and – it's almost like the 60s, uh, the whole thing about the open marriages where everybody thought that mm. that was going to be the, the salvation and, you know, oh, yeah, we're going to break marriages because we're going to screw whoever we want. And, of course, every one of them broke up afterwards because they're like, well, you know, jealousy comes back in. You know, No matter who you are at core, you still want one person who's going to be faithful to you and love you and adore you and uh, stand by you when things get tough. And that doesn't. Yeah, work. where do you find that? Around around around. Well, there you go. Uh, luckily, I finally did. But you know, it, it's still it's a marriage. It's tough. Um, you know, that's the the thing. No matter how kinky you are and how far out you are, and you know, I am, as you know. Uh, yeah. Nonetheless, know. there's still that. If you want to call it bourgeois core, where you're like, well. You know, yeah, it's fun to mess around, but you still need something to come home to that's going to be there for you and that you know is not messing around on you. And, you know, there's none of this crap, these extra dynamics of extra people and jealousy and, you know, you betrayed me and all that horseshit. No, no, no. At at the end of the day, you want somebody who's going to be yours and that you'll be theirs. And, uh, you know, if not, then you're going to wind up like Bordeaux or these other people where you're just jumping from bed to bed and never really being satisfied. Uh, And I think that's uh, dear Bridget, we appreciate you. We salute you. Very much so. Uh, I love and we you. We salute the people of France, too. And I, I love your animal activism. Uh, and, you know, like you said, salute uh, Uh You know, this is. This was not planned to be at this dark time in uh, history here, but nonetheless, I think it is appropriate uh, just to say, you know, hats off to you. And like we said earlier on the show, if it wasn't for you guys and a couple of other people, countries that people ignore or look down on nowadays uh, for various reasons, historical or otherwise – we wouldn't even be a fucking country, so uh, nobody's deluded here. At least, at least those of you who remember are not deluded. So, uh, hats off to you. Yes, certainly. We'll be back in two weeks. Right. With, with, and that's what I got to pull up. What was it in two weeks? Come uh, on. <laughs> what do you think? I'm all prepared here. Come on. Uh, let's see. The Baba, 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 Baba. I think it is. Yeah. Let me just double check yeah. here. Week sixteen, I think it is. And, no, this was week 16. Okay, so week 17, Mario Bava, yes. Uh, so in two weeks, we'll be talking the Undisputed King of classic 
Italian horror from his roots as a cinematographer from forgettable neo-realist dramas and sword and sandal peplum. Mario Bava rose from uncredited co-direction to full-fledged autourism on many of the all-time classics of the horror genre. Uh, nearly single-handedly creating the Italian Gothic, the Giallo, and the 80s slasher film, well before the subgenres would actually flourish, Bava languished without any real critical approval for decades, only come to appreciation long after his death in the DVD era. Uh, I can talk about that because I was a fan of Mario Bava back in the uh, late 70s, early 80s as a child, and nobody knew who the fuck I was talking about for years. <laughs> it wasn't until I saw Tim, Tim Lucas in video watchdog in the 90s, like, oh, somebody else knows who Bob is. Cool. Uh, and geez, it's staging. It said he could take a few potted plants and a column or two and turn them into at least four completely different sets. He was a man noted for a sense of humor and dismissiveness about his own work, and yet he crafted some of the most morbid, dark, and for the time, extreme visions in cinema. So uh, join us in a couple of weeks when we talk one of the true greats in Italian cult cinema, and obvious inspiration for so many more, even more famous auteurs and genres to follow so much slavishly in his footsteps, the inimitable Mario Bava. So, oh, uh, that's good. Did you write all that? Wow. I just <laughs> I read all that. <laughs> <laughs> you know what we should do is like we should like have we should we should hire somebody, maybe your wife, to transcribe all this and it'll be our next book. <laughs> uh, it, the problem is it's it's like Matt says that at the end of and I love all the time it's like well you know if you want to transfer the show go back to the beginning start playing it and type really fast <laughs> yeah 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 I know, I know. Uh, but yes be with us in two weeks it's Mario Bava yeah. and until then for those of you who partake have a uh, have a good Thanksgiving yes and uh, let's see where are you as you can see, That's I'm <laughs> All right, there we go. Excellent. So thanks for joining us tonight. We hope you enjoyed our show. Uh, in two weeks, we'll be back speaking Mario Mala. Contact us here, comments, suggestions, or your filmmaking position. Join us on air. Drop us a line at our Facebook page. Go to facebook.com. Or our WordPress. WordPress.com. Rich Cut Goldmine, of course, you the online network. I'm 